characters and everything. Yeah. And that was Final Fantasy VII was like my my favorite, most formative game mm-hmm. in my youth. Tactics was probably a strong number two. There, there's a reason mm-hmm. why. Like I don't think I had a girlfriend until you know <laughs> late in in adolescence. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I think the only turn based game I played was uh, was it Command and Conquer. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the one I spent the most time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that's a good like I, old school. Yeah, yeah, played that one. Had had LAN parties with my friends. Oh yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. 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 We didn't do it for that, but we did it for Halo. Oh <laughs> nice. Yeah, mm, that was too new for me. I was, I, I'm too old for Halo LAN parties. Mm. Yeah. yeah, we started out with Doom and then uh, okay. Unreal Tournament. Yeah, oh wow, yeah. I played a lot of Unreal Tournament. Played Doom. Yeah, I never played either of those games. Uh, Unreal Tournament was fun. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was an obvious statement, but like it was one of the first ones because I, I had played Doom before. I'd played Quake, which right. and Quake oh, Two. Oh yeah, right. Quake Two was fun, but Unreal Tournament was like one of the first ones. That I was like, okay, this is like this is it. This is fun. Yeah. This is a new like genre. You're playing against different people and whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that was the first one that I was like, that's cool. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Remember Mario Kart parties and mm-hmm. competitions yeah. in the dorms. That was that was a lot of what we did in the dorms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We used to run was... land cables like down the hall in the dorms, so you <laughs> nice. like actually separated. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Man, we're super geeky. All yep. right. <laughs> this is what happens when Twilight isn't here. <laughs> we just talk just a lot saying. about video games. Yeah. Sorry, nerds. Yep. Yeah. She would put us back on. She would yeah. keep us on track. No, yeah. she would bring up. What would she bring up? She would bring up. I don't know. I was gonna say like pop culture stuff, but not not entirely. I I feel like if Twilight were here, there would be uh, some type of sardonic quip about us all being dumb. Yeah, yeah. There'd be that. Yeah. I feel like she would talk about murder in some way. Hello and welcome to Marginally Significant. I'm here. Uh, oh, forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Let's try that one again. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I was going to say I'm here with everybody, but I'm not. So we don't have Twyla with us. I can't say as usual or something here like that. Here with the other two white guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> today on three white guys. Yeah, today on three white guys. <laughs> um, so, yes. No, I got to not say as usual or right. I'm here with everybody or whatever. Do yes, you like okay. that? Today on three white guys, what gives our lives value? And let's talk about achievement and <laughs> uh, grant funding. Yeah. Where men enjoy a, a substantial advantage. <laughs> Yes, that's what we should start with. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't think of that. I mean, it's on tape. It's yeah, on tape. <laughs> done. Hello and welcome to Marginally Significant. My name is Andrew Smith and I am here with Andrew Monroe. Hello. Chris Holden. Hey. And not Twyla Wingrove today. She is home taking care of, unfortunately, a sick puppy. So, we miss you, Twyla. Yeah, we miss you. So today you're going to have to deal with the three of us, but we will try to hold our own uh, despite Twyla not being here. She'll probably, I don't know, message us while we're doing this and saying that we're doing a terrible job. I guess she's not listening live. Whatever. Yeah, n- none of this is live. No, that's true. <laughs> I don't really bugged. understand how podcasting works, <laughs> <Yeah>. apparently. <laughs> On today's uh, episode, we're going to be talking about... Um, well, later on, we'll talk a little bit about what gets us out of bed in the morning, what things motivate us. Uh, but I guess first we're going to talk about grant funding and the, I don't know, nature of grant funding and how perfectly reasonable everything is in terms of the amount of time spent and the success awarded and, and everybody's reviews and how those are perfectly calibrated. There's there's sarcasm in there. I don't know if sarcasm yeah. comes across in podcasts either. Again, apparently yeah, no, I don't understand no, how this works. No one can see like us wagging our heads <laughs> yes. to the side like, no, none of yeah. this is true. All right. Um, so some of this, uh, well, most of this, I guess, um, uh, Monroe, you, you mentioned this first, but a lot of this uh, started with a talk at the MetaScience Conference about how um, inefficient the competitions for grant funding is and how it might lead to issues where people are spending more time preparing grants uh, uh, relative to the amount of to kind of like payoff they get from actually winning the grants because obviously a very small percentage. Uh, of um, uh, grants are actually grant proposal or proposals are actually funded. Um, so before we get any into anything with the talk, um, there was one slide in the talk. So I guess we're getting into the talk. There was one slide in the talk. They were looking at the um, percentage of grants that get funded over time. Yeah. And so in 1960, 
uh, more than 50% of the grants were funded. Yeah, I really hate those people. I know. Yeah. We were born at the wrong time. Like, that yeah. was the way to do it. Just, yeah. Standards in research were lower, yeah. easier to get grants. Yeah. yeah. You could p-hack the crap out of your data. You could, you know, 50% of, more than 50% of grants were funded a, uh, through the NIH. This is NIH. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, like, that it's was wild. the way to do it. So. Yeah, make research great again, guys. <laughs> uh, I, I slightly hate you right now. Um, so it's it's uh, the um, success rate right now is slightly less than fifty percent. So did you guys look to see what it is right now? Was it so, around twenty? Yeah, yeah, it was around twenty. Which actually that was slightly higher than I thought. Actually, I, I thought it would be good, was going to be closer to ten percent. But still, that's obviously much lower. That's get, that's showing that you know, obviously eighty percent of the proposals aren't uh, aren't being funded. Um, but I don't know what do. We, yeah, where do we want to start? Just maybe the basic gist of the the kind of premise here, or what do we think? Yes. Yeah, I think that's a good starting point. Uh, <laughs> later on, I would like to talk a little bit about like the way in which we have to write the grant. So more specifically, getting into the implications and how we try and sell it. Uh, yeah. This might be a hot take, but I'm kind of against that in some ways. Um, but yeah, I, I think a good starting point is talking about kind of that cost benefit analysis that they set up. Yeah. So um, I read, well, no, I, I was going to say I read the paper. I read the introduction and discussion of the paper and the meat of the paper was very statsy. Um, so that I, I understood all of the premise behind everything, but a lot of the specifics were very um, uh, challenging to get through. Um, but I do agree with the overall the idea basically what the gist is is that there's a cost uh, associated with writing grants so the time spent writing a, a, a grant or, or multiple grant proposals actually um, where a lot of people are spending they, they have some stats here that a lot of people are spending upwards of 20 percent of their research time and in medical schools apparently that can be up to 50 percent of their time is spent writing grants which just seems insane to yeah. me um, but uh, you know for most people just thinking about 20 percent of their time is spent, um, or at least the research time is spent writing grants. And so, okay, yeah, you're spending that much time. Obviously, we're getting paid for that time. And so there's a cost associated with that, both a cost to us, but also a cost to whether universities or whoever, right. whoever's funding us. And so is that cost... Um, offset or exceeded, hopefully, by the benefits from the grants that are funded. And so obviously, when only a small percentage of the grants are funded, then the benefits are going to be relatively, relatively small. If you get a whole lot of people spending 20% of their time, only a very small percentage are actually funded. So of course, the benefits of those uh, um, grants that are funded is not going to outweigh the cost. And so that's kind of the, I don't know, basic gist of it. They get into a lot more specifics, of course, but that's the basic gist of the of the um, the kind of argument that they have. Um, I guess the first thing to ask: Do you guys spend twenty percent of your time uh, working on grant proposals? Well, okay, so <laughs> no, no is the short answer. Yeah. Um, but but the the broader thing is so when he's talking about you know what amount of time people are are spending on writing grants and and uh when he's talking about you know now there's a 20 percent uh hit rate if you are uh sending a gra grant off to in this case nih um i think one important thing to pull out of that is the 20 percent of grant recipients are not evenly distributed across right. uh types of universities i would imagine that they are heavily um, um, concentrated in in more research focused institutions mm -hmm. like that that's what you would expect yeah so in fact depending on what type of university you're at um, your hit rate is likely much much lower and therefore like the cost of applying to a grant are actually much higher because the amount of time it takes stays let's say relatively static and if your hit rate is even lower then the cost is even like larger in that case and it's even more irrational or well I don't know that he would say it's irrational it's inefficient yeah. is, is what he would say yeah that's a good point is that a lot of it was focused on the inefficiency which I totally agree with but not necessarily the irrationality yeah. because as you talk about there are so many benefits associated with getting grants not just obviously the money and being able to run the studies but in terms of promotion tenure and so on right. status even salary they were talking about how there there's definitely benefits so mm -hmm. so yeah but it definitely could be an inefficient yeah um, i mean one thing that struck me about the uh, the the talk that that he gave was if your policy or if one of your policy solutions for how do we make this better is to institute 
institute a lottery uh, as as part of it, mm-hmm. then you know you have a really messed up system going yeah. right now. Like if a lottery, if a literal random selection procedure would be better than the selection procedure that you have now for something that is as important as you know hundreds of thousands of dollars handed out in grants, like that's just bonkers to me. <laughs> Yes, I agree. Well, I mean, it's worth noting he was, they weren't, I shouldn't say he, they weren't uh, um, proposing a literal lottery. It was the, what do they call the partial lottery or something like that. So yeah, there's but some there's cut a, off. There's a lottery yes. element yeah, to it. Yeah. You, buy, you basically, like, you write a good enough uh, grant yeah. proposal and you get a ticket and a lottery. Yeah. And that's somehow... I mean, then that then and that would likely be an improvement yes. over the present system. Yes, and that's disturbing to me. Well, yes. So I agree with that, but I want to disagree just because it's you. So I agree <laughs> in the sense that that would be a, an improvement, but. In fairness to the people reviewing it, it's just a hard thing to do to predict which of these grants will be most likely to succeed. So so we're asking people to do something that is just insanely difficult to see what's the scientific value of these particular things. Right. So so again, I agree, but I don't want to put too much on like, well, the people who are reviewing these or whatever, they're just they're not doing a good job. It's like it's just an insanely challenging thing to do. Yeah, that that's true. Um, um, I, I've got to review uh, a couple of, of grants and it is a really hard thing to, to think about, you know, what, what is a good grant mm-hmm. proposal? Um, and I think this gets to, uh, Chris, like part of, of what you wanted to get into about, you know, one of the things you have to sell yeah. uh, for a grant is, is impact amongst other things. Yeah. Yeah. I, so this is tough for me to talk about because I'm in a cycle right now of applying to a lot of grants. So uh, funders, if you're listening, <laughs> um, I'll also say Be going, merciful. Back, yeah, going back to the question about how much time you spend. I mean, maybe my I think it's just because of the timelines, but I'm probably spending more than 20 percent of my research time now applying to grants. Um, that's including internal stuff as well. Um, but yeah, I think. It's tough for me, and I might just be so much of a basic researcher that to me, if it has theoretical foundation, it extends the line of research, it's methodologically rigorous, has open science practices, like to me that that passes the bar. But for many of these organizations, there's a requirement to talk about broader impacts and uh, what are the downstream effects of this. And I'll fully admit, like... I'm probably just bad at thinking about these sorts of things. Um, so, I mean, it might be worth putting it to y'all, like what's a good way of selling it? Um, but to me, I think my biggest problem is that like that shouldn't be the ultimate criteria. And I don't know if it is, but there's times where I felt like it, it has been, or at least the feedback that I've received about my grant validates everything about my methods and the theory, but says you need to do more to talk about the broader implications and another sticking point for me in that and i know people are working to kind of counter this and and change this is that often that research doesn't disseminate to the level that would actually allow for that impact to happen right put more specifically the average public's not reading a lot of this stuff now i know there's incentives to you know have People publish their grant findings in open access journals, engage in open science practices. But for the time that we spend talking about the broader impacts, I don't know if like they're actually getting there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that so multiple things. So with one of the grants that ultimately got funded of mine, it the first time we submitted to NSF, it didn't get funded. And a lot of the, the feedback that we got was, you know, studies are good. The ideas are good, whatever. However, you know, what's it matter? What's the implied um, um, kind of implications and so on? And so then the second round was us basically dropping, I don't know, like a third of the studies that we had, adding in more kind of applied research and right. looking at things, you know, beyond the students and community residents and whatnot, and really kind of trying to um, make it much more applied. And and that then it ultimately got funded. So obviously that's an end of one. But still, I think that the the kind of intuition that you have that they're looking for at least some kind of application there there is right. But then the other question is like, all right, so we run those studies. 
how much of an impact does it actually right. have? I mean, we think that they're great, but does the the public actually look at that? I mean, obviously for us, it's that those studies are still, you know, a year and a half away. But but in terms of looking at the the um, background, the people who really advocate for or really kind of can sell that, hey, this has big, broader implications. Do those studies ha- actually have broader implications? And and my guess is that relationship is fairly weak because people are going to try to sell it much more than reality actually warrants. Right. And I think that's the bi- a big point there is that sometimes the impact for better or for worse is contingent on the findings. And we don't want to be motivated to produce certain findings because it has a broader impact. I don't know if that's if, if that's true for everybody, but it just seems like if you're framing it in terms of the impacts, that's going to be dependent on what your study finds and what the results are. And we have absolutely no control over that. Well, uh, we should well, have no we control should, over yeah. that, but I, should, but in, yeah. you know, in the, so if you're doing good research, then yes, you're right. You don't have control over that. But if you know, you're P hacking or you're doing right. whatever, then actually you do have control over it. So maybe you should just start doing that. Yeah. That's your problem. Not enough, yeah. not, not enough P hacking, yeah. not enough, you know, QRPs and so on. So yeah, we'll work on that. Yeah. I mean, so I guess two points. Uh, one is, I know, because everything. <laughs> two points. Two points. Uh, two questions. Uh, broken up into three parts. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, so on, on the one hand, I think that the the heavy focus on impact incentivizes not necessarily bad practices but um but it incentivizes people to outrun their data often so you ran like a relatively controlled uh in-lab study and then you are gonna say like the impact is it's gonna tell us something fundamental about what people do in their everyday lives all humans everywhere even though you only ran college students and i know like (laughs) Not not all not all grants. Hashtag not all grants. Or MTurk. Uh, yeah, or, or MTurk. Um, so I think one thing that that incentivizes is is just like general overclaiming. And what that uh, sort of means alongside it is that people who are more creative, uh, people who are just like better salespeople yeah. of their ideas are going to like by and large have better chances at grants regardless of the sort of actual merit of, of the studies. As you both said, like people often haven't critiqued your um, – your the sort of merit of the studies merit of the theory as much as they've critiqued uh the, the merit on, on on impact um so that that's like one thing that i think that this sort of focus on, on on impact is is not great the other part of it is so since twyla isn't here i'm going hmm. to i'm i'm going to channel for a moment our shared love of the west wing um yeah. and and there's one particular episode where there's a there's a professor who comes to the west wing he's interacting with with the sam seaborn character and he's trying to get funding for a superconducting super collider and Congress mm. is, is holding up the funding. And as they're having these discussions and, and politics kind of ensue, one thing that, that Sam, the, the West Wing staffer, asks the professor is like, okay, how do I, how do I sell this? What does it mean to be for it? What does it mean to be against it? What is the uh, applied impact of this superconducting super collider? And the, the professor uh, utters like a series of lines that are absolutely my favorite. Uh, and he says, none, none whatsoever. Uh, and Sam's like, you're absolutely not any help. And the professor answers, I don't have to be. I have tenure. <laughs> uh, but the point is, uh, the, the, the episode goes on that the, the professor makes the argument that like oftentimes discovery doesn't have a roadmap that we can do basic right. research today that we might not see the sort of applied aspects of for you know, years down the line. That doesn't mean that that basic research doesn't have value. That was the foundation for like major applied work in the future. And I think like this, this, and I get why funding agencies have to do it. And I, and I, I get why program officers have to do it. And so I want to be careful not to like bash too hard. But I think that an over-reliance on what is going to be the immediate sellable impact Mm -hmm. of this study or series of studies more, more accurately drives us away from studying like bigger questions that might not have any applicability today but tell us like something fundamental uh that that is right now theoretical and that's that's a hard sell or i think that's a harder sell to make i was gonna say yeah i think that was part of what i was talking about in the first point i made there it's like 
my history might be off, but wasn't it like penicillin or something like that right. was just totally by chance and they were just basically doing bench science and now we know the impact of it. Thanks, antibiotics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like, to me, it's totally fine if we're doing small incremental science because it gets us to that larger step. Right. So thanks for putting a finer tip point on that. Yeah, and the the paper that we're kind of gotten a little away from, but we'll get back to, but it, they talk about like high risk versus kind of more incremental research yeah. and, and how some of the, the lottery style stuff that they advocate at the end here might actually um, help out with some of that kind of more high risk research that people don't necessarily see uh, kind of an application right away. Yeah. Um, I wonder if we can unpack a little bit the reason why there's so much focus on impact. Scarce resources. Well, yeah. I mean, outside of that, to me, I mean, I was trying to wrap my head around this and I don't want to be too much of like a consequentialist, but I guess maybe that's some of the rationale there, right? Because, you know, you have limited resources, you have a small amount of money and you want to have the largest impact you can. Um, and outside of funding for my own research, I tend to think along those lines. <laughs> so why am I so hung up on on this for, you know, funding my own research and why is it a value, I guess? So why is focusing on like the applied aspect of value? Yeah. I don't know if my question made sense. Yeah. Well, no, I think it makes sense. But I think it's like one of those of like, I think it makes sense for funders to think about, well, what is the uh, return on investment that they're going to get? What is it that we're going to get out of this? And if it's just something like, great, we learned some little tidbit of information, that's fine. But if it's like, oh, this actually has some kind of treatment value or this has some applied um, kind of, I keep saying the word value, but this has some value in the sense of like, it's going to improve people's lives in some way, I think that they're going to put a little bit more of an emphasis on that because that's more of a return on investment because that's really what they're what they're looking for. So I think it makes sense that they're going to prioritize that. I think, of course, the downside of it is is exactly what we've talked about, where it, you know anything that you measure, once you start to measure it, then that becomes the thing that people try to kind of like push towards and and try to sell, right? So the the second that they try to start saying like, well, let's look at the applied a- uh, um, value of this, then people are going to try to oversell that like you said, and and they're going to try to like, you know, advocate for how this is going to just, you know, change people's lives because, you know, now we know X, Y, and Z about something, wh- whether or not it's actually going to do that. But I think it makes sense that we would think at least of some, like, is there going to be some sort of a tangible benefit to this research or is it going to just kind of, you know, be some kind of, I don't know, interesting little curiosity that we learn? Because I think in our own research, when we're trying to do studies, I mean, there are plenty of questions I've had that I'm like, I'm just curious. I want to know what that right. is. But you but wouldn't I, write a grant That's for my that, point. Like, is that, that yeah. I wouldn't value yeah. that as high as others where I'm like, oh man, if this works out, then this would actually help people to make better decisions in this real world context. I'm going to value that a little bit higher in my own research. So, so I think it makes sense that that it would be valued slightly higher in in kind of grant funding. Yeah, I I like that you framed it in terms of value and return on investment. And I guess what I'm getting at is what if the the value or the return on investment was placed elsewhere. So instead of the applied kind of downstream manifestations of everything, what if it was just, does this contribute to theory? Is there good return on investment in terms of theory or knowledge in this content area? Um, and I bring that up in part because another thing that I've, I've thought about with this is that often the people reviewing your grants know that stuff, right? They, they are selected because they have expertise. So for them, it becomes apparent and the, the downstream applications are probably kind of on their mind already. So why do we have to then restate all that or bring that into the application? So what what if we were able to just kind of say, okay, here's the incremental step that we can take that might lead us to something like penicillin. I don't think anything that that we're doing. (laughs) Every grant I write now is going to have, this is what I'm going to do. It might also cure cancer someday. Yeah. Who knows? You don't know. You don't know if I'll cure cancer. Right. Yeah. What if we could put the value on just like, does it build knowledge. And then I think the return on investment becomes a little more clear. Yeah. I mean, I, I, that's the whole thing of like, I agree with that, but I don't know, like, I think it's harder to quantify, like how much is this study or these series of studies going to advance theory relative to seeing an immediate impact of like, Hey, this treatment will, I don't know, not cure cancer, but other things that we might try to do this. These studies will help to make, get people to make better decisions in a medical context in terms of like, you know, wishful thinking and over optimism. That's just like the stuff that I do. 
So so I think that's a little bit easier to see how that might have a, an actual return on investment, whereas um, us trying to advocate for this helps to, which we did, but still this helps to advance our theory in terms of understanding why people and when people will engage in wishful thinking. That's a little bit harder to quantify how much of an impact that's going to have, maybe. And so that that it might just be almost like a, I don't want to say heuristic, but just an easier task to look at the applied aspect versus the theory aspect. But again, I don't want to say that like, so therefore I don't care about theory. I'm just saying in terms of like, it might just be a harder task to see that. Smith hates theory. Yeah. (laughs) I feel like I've, uh, I've been a little quiet because like, no, I, I feel like that the the problem is I mean these everything that that we are sort of addressing here I think is is important but I actually think the the problem is much much larger it's that there's mm-hmm. scarce resources uh funders have to make decisions between tons of really highly qualified grants and it's because we don't have enough money funding basic science if you increased, you know, the the NIH, the NSF budget uh, by a order of magnitude, so 10 times more money, like, yeah, we could get back to funding 50% of proposals. And that would give people more mm. room to run on high risk ideas. And it would give people more room to run on theoretical ideas. Like, I, I, I'm like, okay, no, what we need is a what we need is a revolution. Uh, <laughs> we need to, like, burn the whole system yeah. down. I don't know. I just watched the Democratic debate. So, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, revolution. That's what you need. Uh, at and NIH, NSF. I mean, the way that we fund science in the U.S. is is terrible. Uh, so we need to do a better job. Yeah, I don't want to take us away from that, but I also just feel like I don't know what we can do about that. Like it's just such a huge problem across so many levels. I've got some pitchforks. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. I guess when I had this idea, and it's it's kind of half formed in my head, so maybe it's not the best. But um, so barring any like changes with funding uh would it be with the cost benefit analysis kind of going back to the the paper and talk that we're talking about would it change if we didn't have to talk about the impact so much or talk about the applied aspects would it be easier or would it be less costly i don't know that it it, it that it would i mean like one thing i would say it frustrates me a little bit that there are a lot of um like workshops and discussions about how to write a good grant proposal which have less to do with the science behind the research and have more to do with how to right. sell it and so that does frustrate frustrate me a little bit because of course then what we're looking at is not the the science the research the ideas it's how do you sell it and so on so again, I don't want to want to like take away from that because I think that's a, a little bit of a, of a problem. But all that being said, I don't know that it'd be that much less work to not focus yeah. on the applied aspects of it. I mean, you know, again, I, I don't have a lot of experience, but the the few that I do, I mean, you know, that was an issue, but that wasn't like the major time sink for yeah. me. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And especially like, some grants are going to need to focus more on that applied aspect. So I don't know that it would make it would reduce the the overall time commitment it's yeah just one of the factors that go into it yeah okay oh no i was just gonna say like i i think it's pretty small and um just to clarify i wasn't trying to like come at you for your point because i think oh, it's no. like how dare you yeah no, i mean my my point is like we need to burn the system down and need a totally new one like yeah. you're, you're right like there's there's not very much we can do about that but i mean again to go back like when you're when one of your solutions is you know what would do a better yeah. job a lottery that means that your system is just fundamentally broken uh and so like we i think we need larger bore solutions to this but but well, like we have no power to implement those solutions yeah. so so i do want to talk about that a little bit so let's say we we like agree with the premise of the paper and and the talk that you know the amount of time collectively and by the way that this is like a collective issue so the amount of time collectively that people spend writing and working on grant proposals is more than well the the cost associated with that is more than the benefits that we get out of it I, i'm not in entirely actually sold on that premise because I think, and and they even mentioned that there are some times where where there are certain um, benefits that they don't talk about. Like a good example is for us um, submitting a grant. We we actually get something out of that. And so we have to submit grants. We don't necessarily have to secure a grant. So at people at different institutions, just the fact of submitting something actually gets us something, even if we don't even get anything out of it, meaning we don't get it 
funded. But anyway, so let's say we we buy that premise. And then so one of the solutions is, okay, well, let's just use the lottery. And so basically, um, all the reviewers have to do is say, does this meet some threshold? So does this proposal meet, you know, pass some threshold of like, it's good research. And then presumably, let's just say that's, I don't know, 50% of the proposals um, are going to be above that threshold. And then there it is a literal lottery. Is that a good thing. And and so they say, well, maybe it's a good thing because, you know, distinguishing between the top 5% or 10% or even 20 is just, I mean, it's a ridiculously challenging right. thing. People aren't very good at it. So why not just do it at a freaking lottery? Who cares? Um, and maybe it would kind of help some things. But but I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, I have some thoughts about that. But what do you guys think about that? Is that, would that be a better way of doing it just by doing it? Once it meets threshold, it's a, you just get a lottery beyond that? Or I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I do buy so uh, an improvement over the present system. Uh, yeah. So that, that's the stipulation. Um, no, I, I do buy that that would be a better system because exactly the reasons you lay out that differentiating between the top, top tier of applicants is, is really hard and people are unreliable. Also, I mean, one thing that I think it would do is it would um, remove the impact of prestige on right. the likelihood of getting a grant. Um, so grants, or at least the, the couple of time I've reviewed, they have not been anonymous, I think. Um, so you know who the grant writer is, and if you're their friend, or if you think they have prestige, or if you are impressed by their work, you may have a different disposition. Uh, so a lottery would take that off the table and that would be something that would be i, I think a, a net positive i agree <laughs> uh, so one of the things they mention in here which which i don't know um so they say that like if it was a lottery all you have to do is meet threshold that then it would take less work to prepare the proposals i i don't buy that it would take less yeah. work to pre- uh, prepare the pre- that prepare the proposals and Peter Piper and his peck of pickles. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, maybe so it would only take less work if that lottery system means that I internalize that part of this is due to random chance. And therefore I write a weaker proposal than I otherwise would, because what I need to meet is a lower threshold than I thought I did. So if I accept that premise that I sort of rationally decide to reduce the amount of work and quality of my uh, application then then i guess it's true but i think the main benefit of the of um but i i I just don't think that that's super likely i think as academics we want to do things well most of the time Mm -hmm. uh or at least as well as we can within time constraints and and so i think the main benefit is like instituting a slightly more fair uh process through randomization yeah no and that's what was my takeaway because they're they made a big um uh not a big but they talked about how uh the lottery would then reduce the amount of work that other that people would have to put into the proposals and then again just thinking back to my own experiences and i'm trying to think of like, well, okay, what things would I then not have done in this grant proposal? Because I'm just like, well, all I got to do is be in the top half, not the top, you know, 20%. I can't really think, I mean, maybe I don't like revise it one last time. Like, I don't, I don't really know what things I wouldn't actually do. I I don't think it would change any of our behavior at all. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that cost benefit doesn't seem to then shift very much because if the, the costs that you're putting in are more or less the same, and then of course the benefits aren't changing because we still have the same uh, um, pay line that they're, they're talking about. I don't know that that shifts that cost benefit analysis. I do agree. I actually like some of the aspects of it, the random lottery in the sense of like, yeah, removing some of those biases. Um, even in the, the paper, as I mentioned before, they talked about uh, funding some of the more high risk things. They talked about how people are pretty bad at predicting what was going to be um, uh, kind of a scientific value in the future anyway. So so it would remove kind of that aspect. So I don't hate the idea, but I don't know that that shifts the cost benefit analysis in any way. Nope. <laughs> this is the podcast of one word. Answers. There we go. Yeah. Uh, well, I have a half formed idea. Like I did earlier, we'll see how it goes. Um, so let's assume that it is a random process, right? In terms of who's awarded, um, like a fully random process or random after meeting threshold. After threshold, okay. yeah. Uh, what if there was a stipulation that you had to collaborate with other folks after winning that and sh- actually share the money? So I'm kind of thinking of something like Psych Science Accelerator or you know something along those lines where it's a multi-site study. Um, 
So I don't know if you would necessarily have to have those people on the grant, but what if there was something like that that would further like level the playing field or spread the already thin resources out a little bit more? Is there a network that you could easily tap into to collaborate with in that scenario? I hadn't thought about that. I guess you could like do something through psych science accelerator or something along those lines. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. my, my worry would be if the requirement is that collaboration is sort of built into it. Now you're back to, again, you're probably going to accidentally reward people who have larger right. social networks yeah. and penalize less prestigious people with smaller social networks and early researchers and early yeah. career researchers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, so that's like, it's the whole thing of like, where I, I definitely like the idea of, I mean, obviously I've talked about it before in here of, of building those collaborations and with some of the projects that right. I'm working on, I'm trying to um, expand my network essentially of getting yeah. people to run similar studies at different locations and so on um, to build that into the grant funding model that might be a little bit more challenging. Yeah. And I wouldn't want it to be a case where it's just all you need to do to get the money is to collaborate, mm-hmm. you know, because that's not really doing anything, but maybe there could be something there to help balance things out a little bit yeah. more. I don't know. In the, um, so going back to the lottery thing in the, um, the talk though, they also talked about how if you run it as a lottery that might incentivize people to, uh, um, simply, um, submit more proposals because mm-hmm. yeah. that's really then. So it, it's not now you're spending time on the quality of the proposal. You're spending more time on the, 16 proposals. Yeah. yeah. So what do we do? Like, I mean, that that's gonna, that would almost certainly happen. So then what's the issue there? I mean, how do we prevent that? I'm not, I, again, I, my argument is the lottery system is a preferable system to the current one we have, right. but the lottery system is still bad. <laughs> um, so it, it's, it's not a good solution because I mean, uh, if you think about like, well, what's happened with publication rates and it's like, well, you know, you just, or, uh, you know, you run as many studies as you possibly can and you hope for some results and then you pile those together into a paper. And I mean, that, that's a version of essentially like well when you have an arms race just run more studies and hopefully you'll have more hits uh, or you know you publish more papers and What's hopefully the problem uh, with that i don't i don't get it i mean it it, it benefits the people who can do that pretty well uh yeah but so no and i mean i think again like we're back to perverse incentives yeah. And that, I mean, yeah, I know I would definitely agree with that. So, I mean, I think, it, yeah, it could be an improvement, but it would be a little bit of a challenge. Yeah, Sorry, well, I'm all doom and darkness apparently. today. Mm-hmm. But it was so in fairness to the lottery system, one of the things I liked that they mentioned um, is that if it was a lottery, basically it becomes more clear that getting a, a grant is less about the person and more just, hey, you know, kind of random chance. Right. And so that's very obvious. So it might actually reduce um, the the, I don't know, prestige or the the kind of awards that people um, put on getting a grant. So like in terms of thinking about like promotion and tenure, well, if you know it's all due to random that uh, chance, that's not actually fair to hold something against a, a you know, researchers say like, well, you know, you never got a grant. So, you know, we're not going to um, give you tenure. Well, it's all due to chance. As long as you can show that you've gotten above threshold and so on, that's, that's enough. And so I do kind of think that that would be a nice... Um, positive. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it it could be good at uh, reducing some of the negative effects if you don't get grants. Yeah. I'm not sure that it would work in the opposite direction. So if right. you get grants, I think we yeah. would still laud people for get for getting grants. Hooray, even, you yeah. got picked by random chance. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. I mean, we we would, would still we would still be like, oh my gosh, she has or she has like 18 grants. Like, how yeah. amazing are they? Yeah. We wouldn't we wouldn't bake in the like, well, there's a random uh, yeah. aspect yeah. to it. Yeah, unless you dislike the person, then that's all. You're oh yeah, then focus then, on. then you just discount the entire thing. Yeah. Yeah. All situation. Yeah. No disposition. Exactly. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's I mean, that's a good point that it might be kind of asymmetric there. But at least I mean, at least it's better. Yeah. Than... It, it would still offset some of the negative consequences. Right. Uh, it would just not offset, uh, you know, the sort of looking up to people who get lots and lots of grants. Yeah. Yeah. How much money. So if that were the case, so where it, it turned into a lottery, so there's all sorts of random chance in there. Do you think universities would put as much money into the grant offices? that they do right now in terms of the supporting that we would have. Um, And would that necessarily be a bad thing if they didn't 
do that because I mean I think it's helpful. I mean obviously grants offices are, are helpful in some ways, but you know if that money got put back into teaching, research, and other areas, that actually might be beneficial. That's a huge assumption that they're not going to take that money and put it into football. But <laughs> if they, hey, did, you need to pay the players. Yeah, so, that's true. Yeah. yeah, you could put the money into football if you're going to pay the players. That's a whole yeah. different story. But yes, so but I mean so that's an assumption. But still, like that actually, I mean thinking about the number of people who get funded, especially at some of the bigger universities, but even at a place that's here, um, would that be a good or a bad thing? Because I would imagine they would then put less money into it if it's a lottery. Yeah, but maybe not. That's my first thought is, you know, like thinking from top down, like if there's something that we're allocating money towards that's, well, not totally, but at least partially mm. determined by chance, we should be careful of that. And I think if we move to a lottery system for grants, it would pretty much nuke like office of support or office of research and support surrounding that for many universities, maybe not at the top where people are going to be more likely to have them anyway. But as it trickles down, not to cite Reagan, but <laughs> as it goes to smaller universities, those support offices would just totally go away, I think. I'm trying to figure out if that's a good or a bad thing, and I, I'm torn on that. I don't know. The only, the only thing I can see playing out is... We really need Twyla. She works yeah. Yeah. She's, yeah. 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 Well, no, I mean, so with the experiences that I've had at... at so I've collaborated with um, people at bigger universities, and then obviously the experiences I've had. If you put a lot of money into the grants offices, that probably does pay off. So right. so I do think that putting a lot of money into it is, is helpful in that way. But I'm just trying to figure out, again, thinking about from the cost-benefit analysis, what if that money then got put into, instead of trying to secure funds to do research, it actually just got put into doing research. Like that, those funds that normally go into trying to get oh, grants right. actually got put into the, the science that we're doing, that actually might be a better uh, um, use of the money. But yeah. again, there's a big assumption that that money would then go into doing research. It well, and and it seems to assume that like most of what those people do is like help you submit grants. Uh, I mean, I, I think that's overlooking a lot of what the Office of Sponsored Research does and like administering grants. Uh, so I, I think I, I would... I, in order to like buy the premise that that's assuming that like ninety percent of what they do is just like help you apply for grants, and I I don't know that I buy that premise. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's not just applying for; it's finding the grants, it's applying for the grants, it's then also administrating or no, because this wouldn't affect administering the grants uh, because you would still get some number of grants and you still need people to administer right. them. The offset would be like you just have fewer staff helping you apply for them because you sure. recognize that like eh, this is random, so like let's put our resources elsewhere. But it wouldn't affect the other pieces no, that's true yeah because you'd still have to you know for the people who get lucky and actually get the grants right. stuff to do that yeah i can see that i think another sticking point for me is what do you do with that money that's now allocated for research and would there be perverse incentives as to who got what amount of money in which department yeah then it would turn into internal grant funding applications <laughs> right. and have the same types right. of issues that then, yeah. So basically, I think the gist is we all need to just learn how to better write better um, grant applications to just oversell any contribution that our research is going to do. Write the yeah. best version of what you're doing, even if the data don't support yeah. it. No, no, that is bad advice. Yeah. It's exactly the opposite. Yeah. So... All right. So we spend a lot of time, well, some time writing grants. I don't think it minus nearly 20%, but you know, I'm basically an outlier or something like that. But um, so we spend a lot of, or we don't spend a lot of time doing that. Um, so what do we spend our time with, or maybe more accurately, um, what things motivate us to actually do work? Because, you know, here we're not going to be motivated to like, you know, get out of bed and be like, yeah, I want to apply for a new grant because that is apparently fairly demotivating um, because obviously most of them don't get funded and so on. So what sort of things do actually motivate you to get out of bed and actually do work? Go, Monroe. <laughs> um, okay. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I thought that this would be interesting to discuss, especially so we're not at a, an, an institution that does a ton of research relative to, to other ones. We have a, a comprehensive approach. We do a lot of student training, both undergrad and, and grad. And so uh, one thing that, that I was thinking a lot about is, okay, so that means that we're going to publish less research, you know, the likelihood of fortune and glory uh, along those lines is is going to be relatively suppressed uh, relative to more research intensive places. And so it made me reflect on like, so what what does what does motivate me? And 
Um, as per usual, I have a, a multi-point answer to this question. I am shocked. Uh, and I mean, part of it is, you know what? Even research is just always going to be fundamentally motivating to to me. Um, that's what got me started in grad school, like answering questions, basic questions about uh, the human condition. Um, but the other thing is, I it that's such a pretentious answer, by the way. To say <laughs> basic uh, answers about the human, human condition, condition gonna, blah, blah. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I mean, pretension also gets me up in the morning. <laughs> so, so that, pretension and coffee. Uh, lots of that. Yeah. Lots of coffee. Uh, but, but no, actually, so um, I had an experience today. It's funny that we're recording this podcast, but I got into the office this morning and on my, my whiteboard um, outside my office door, there was this note from two students who were in my very first uh, senior seminar, uh, my very first year here. And they turns out like they met in my class and they hit it off and they, they got married. Um, and so they they came back to to app Um I miss them, but they wrote a, a long note about, you know, we're sorry we missed you. We wanted to say thanks for everything. Um, and, and that was, that really made my day today. And, and in reflecting about like what gets me motivated, like what gets me out of bed in the morning, it's that. It's actually Playing matchmaker. Well, yeah, <laughs> unintentionally. I had, I had no idea. I thought uh, I was the relationships researcher. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Morality, like really, I mean, we talked about sibling incest and like they were off to the uh. races. Uh, they're not siblings. They, they there's no relation. <laughs> just put yeah. that out there. Yeah. Just, just to be clear. Uh, but sorry uh, if you listen to this. <laughs> um, but yeah, getting that note, and, and so actually, I I have a practice. You know, sometimes as we've all experienced sometimes when students leave um they will leave us thank you notes um right. for being mentors or for being graduate advisors or for simply like writing a letter of recommendation or being in our classes um i save all of those this is like my super sappy thing i save all of them and i actually carry them around in my in my knapsack briefcase whatever we call it um and so i've got them and like every now and then i take them out and i look at them and that's that's the thing that I think most motivates me. I mean, the research is always going to be there. Research is always going to be interesting. But it's the interactions that I get to have with my students, like undergrad and grad. Like those are the things that uh, have turned out. I, I don't think I would have predicted that uh, starting out. But it turns out like that is the thing. Those are like the little nuts of joy that I gather up mm -hmm. to sustain me through the long, cold winter <laughs> of desperation and rejection that is academia. End end story. Yeah. I don't want to steal your thunder, but I walked in this morning and saw that and my gut reaction was like or my initial reaction, not my gut reaction, was oh crap, somebody's like got a problem with Monroe. Wait, did that happen this morning? I it, it was there when I walked in. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I was trying in, to pin down when they might have come by. Yeah, I got in like an hour before you okay. did. Uh anyway, so like I see a note on a whiteboard at a professor's door and I'm like, uh, this isn't good. But I read it and I'm like, oh, that was really awesome. You know, and it, it made me aware of the fact that like sometimes I lose sight of those those smaller things. Um, so I had some vicarious joy from that. I was like, oh, that's really cool. You know, that's awesome. And like you, I think the thing that gets me out of the bed in the morning is knowing that I can have an impact and have a meaningful intellectual relationship with students. Um, and I try and foster that where I can. Mm -hmm. I think you guys are just like better people than me. I mean, I, I appreciate those things. I'm certainly like appreciating like the impact that I have. But I, when, we were, when I was thinking about like what things like, you know, really motivate me, like, you know, thinking about when I'm at home thinking about work, what things am I focusing on? What things am I trying to like improve or do or whatever? What things do I do that go like above and beyond? And like, I don't know, I'm like mildly like sad right now that those weren't the things that I was think, uh, um, thinking about uh, because I think like research is one of them but more like lately I, I think that it's transitioning and it's turning into more teaching mentoring but I like it's not necessarily like the personal impact that it's having in terms of their personal life but it's like the research side of things and and the way that that's going but one thing that I've, I've realized and one of the things that I'm really starting to to get excited about is that I'm realizing that I'm not necessarily 
motivated uh, by, let's say, talking about cognitive dissonance in my social <laughs> psych class for the, you know, what would this be like the 14th time? That's useful. That's helpful. I like that I'm telling people about this interesting information. But the things that are really like getting me excited and the things that I spend time thinking about and stuff that I that I really work hard on, it's a lot of the like doing stuff. And so like right. the the class that I have, it's a um, honors class in, in advanced research methods. And during this class, we're, we're running a couple um, uh, replication studies. And so I've just been spending like so much time in terms of picking the studies and designing it and figuring out working with the students to do this. And that like really gets exciting in terms of incorporating kind of these best practices and this open science stuff into the class. And then in terms of the, the I have that um, the social lab class that I'm right. teaching where it's mm -hmm. again, every um, semester we're running multiple studies and I'm changing the studies and we're figuring things out. We're doing stuff, but I get to share that like with the students. It's not just me kind of in my own little corner doing this. And so like, that's the sort of stuff that I really get interesting in, or interested in is like sharing the research side of the world, but with the students. So it still is the student focus, but it like, I don't know. I don't. But you not, don't care about their personal. No, none, yeah. of, none of them that I know of are, have gotten married or anything like that. And I don't know. Maybe they have. I don't know. Whatever. But it's it's like sharing that. So that's the thing that really like I don't know gets me excited and and motivated in the morning. Yeah. But I mean, again, like it's the student interactions, like exactly what kind. And like I want to be clear, like I don't live and die like based on like whether or not my <laughs> students like me. Though I do feed on that on that energy, like that that at least is true. But it is um, that I get to make a difference in the way that they think about science, that I get to make a, a difference and I can be supportive for them. Like those those are the things that uh, turns out, again, wouldn't have predicted that, mm -hmm. uh, turns out are the things that that really mean a lot to me. Um, and I like for me, this is in sharp relief because I've now I'm entering my my fifth year uh, as an assistant professor and a lot of the undergrads who started with me during like their freshman and sophomore years like they all just graduated and so all of a sudden like a lot of the the students who I had come to know really well have now graduated and and I feel I feel like a little bit lonely but I'm I'm excited about getting to know all my new RAs now so that's that's exciting yeah and my lab is a little bit of a side but in my lab apparently all of my RAs are seniors this year so Ooh, I don't know next year's gonna, gonna be Suck. I know next year's gonna it's gonna suck, but it's also gonna be sad of like all of these people that are just gonna be gone. That you know, it's like all right, well, fine, see you later. Off, yeah. off into the world, they're, and I'm sure they're going on to doing you know bigger and better things. That's mm -hmm. totally fine, but it is a little sad. I agree. Yeah, changing of the guard. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I was trying to think of ways though that I could you know if it knowing that that's the sort of stuff that gets me motivated. You know, how do you incorporate that into other classes and and trying to think of like you know all right. So I, I made a joke about talking about cognitive dissonance for the 14th time. I really but, like talking about cognitive I know, dissonance. I, I pick on that one. That's actually one of the ones that I actually enjoy. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Um, but, um, you know, trying to think of like, well, how how do we incorporate that into the different classes? Because it's easy to do that with, you know, more of a lab based class or with like our, our RAs. But having that interaction with with students, e even in a class of 35, but certainly in my lower level class of 200, how do we do that? Or, or do we just kind of say like, oh, well, well, there's just no way to to incorporate that sort of interaction and that sort of feedback with them? And then you just try to like muddle through those classes just so you can get to the good ones. Like, I don't know. That doesn't seem like a very satisfying answer, though. I mean, I think you get different things out of different interactions. I, I'm not sure that in a big lecture class, like I'm looking to, you know, be able to really get to know like any single individual. It's great if that's possible. Like, I love it when students come up and introduce themselves. Students, you should always come up and introduce yourselves to your professors. <laughs> yes, uh, true. But but it's it's. So in that context, like that's not that's not a goal for me, I, I guess. Um, in that case, I, the thing that makes me excited is if like the class on average seems to be engaged and, and interested in, in what's going on. And then in more individualistic or, or individual contexts, then uh, being able to uh, sort of get more in the weeds with students is, is what's rewarding in that context. Yeah. So okay. uh, I, I feel similar uh in a lot of ways uh but one thing i've tried to do is just come up with fun examples that i enjoyed 
talking about because then it's it's like my personality coming out a little bit uh and i mean it's still a limited context i'm talking to 50 plus people sometimes um but i get a sense that when i do that they're responding to it and like even though it's 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 passive and it's in a lecture that makes it feel more personal that makes it feel makes it feel like i'm connecting with them in some way um my meme game isn't strong, but when my <laughs> memes hit, like it's it's a good feeling, and I I think they pick up on that, and they they start to see you as more of a person and less of a talking head. Yeah, no, I, I do I do like to tell like the stories from home. Yeah, uh, like yeah. those those are funny, or well, no, they're funny to me. Whether or not they're funny to to them is is different. But I think I think it does like humanize you. Yeah, uh, a yeah. little bit, uh, and and that that is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, my dad jokes often don't land. They just I mean they they might laugh at me they're not necessarily laughing with me yeah so. I'm, I'm okay with either of those outcomes though oh that's true as long oh, as they're yeah. laughing then, yeah. You know, yeah that's true yeah i like the occasional dad joke yeah, yeah. No, there you go i mean, should come to my lectures then sometime <laughs> uh what are the other things i was thinking about that really i enjoy and motivates is um the interactions and the the kind of relationship that i do have with my graduate students though i think that's yeah. something that's I mean, we get to know our grad students pretty well. We work with them very closely. So that's something that I get to see, you know, the growth uh, and, you know, because we're working the, with them for a couple of years, whereas like the students in our in our classes, um, you know, oftentimes it's just a semester. OK, yeah, we might say in the multiple semesters, but but still there, it's relatively limited. And so so the grad student, the interactions that I have there, that is, a I would say, another kind of high point of my, I don't know, days be, being able to see what they're doing. Um, but then, of course, I have to bring it down to the negative of I then do I, I wonder like, all right, so we have them for two years, w you know, would it be, you know, two years is good. Would five years be better? So like would working with them at a PhD program would like, would, is that something that we're missing out on because we don't have them for as long? And I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know if it would necessarily be better. Obviously, just because a little bit's good doesn't mean more would be better, but I don't know. I, you know, <laughs> I, I wonder about that, whether that would be a, a kind of benefit. Yeah. I mean, my, I have no data for this, uh, but my, my intuition is, yeah. Um, because so, you said grad students. Actually, the, the people that I've felt closest with have been some of my undergrads who have graduated because they've been in mm. my lab three, four years and I've actually gotten to know them a lot better. So one student who actually was an undergrad worked with me for three years, then like became a master student. Was So was there for like a grand total of uh, four years, grand total of four years. And I felt like this is uh, a person that like we actually got to know each other uh, pretty well. Like we keep in contact uh, now that they've they've graduated, uh, and it's a person that I actually like interpersonally enjoy interacting with. Uh, and for my grad students, I've gotten to know some of them, uh, but like two years is, and also like my sample size is super small. Uh, so I've gotten to know some of them, but but in other cases, like they're just not here very long, and there's so much that you need them to be able to accomplish in that time that. I, I think I tend to be more distant uh, with my grad students than than I do with like really senior undergrads. I'm not sure though. I super small sample size. Yeah, I don't I don't have enough data to make a conclusion. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, obviously neither do I because I haven't worked at a R1 university or, or a place that has a PhD program. But still, I just I, I you know thinking about whether that would be an advantage or not to have that like longstanding relationship and in the terms of just motivating us because again you know a lot of the stuff that we do. Um, you know, doesn't like we were talking about, but doesn't pay off. I mean, so you need things that are going to motivate you through those, you know, rejected papers, rejected proposals and and so on. So, you know, trying to figure out where can we find that? Where can that be? Um, but I think that I do agree with both of you guys that that it seems to have changed a little bit things that we wouldn't necessarily have predicted. And, and you know, maybe necessarily so for us, it's turning into a little bit more of the teaching, you know, mentoring side of things, which I do find to be Interesting. And which is great for the institution that right. we're at, uh, that that's actually something that's highly valued right. here. Yeah. yeah. Well, as we talked about there, there's going to be differences in terms of the different institutions and, and the things that we focus on and, and the value that we place on that, which, you know, hooray for us. That works out well. None of us said colleagues. I'm, I'm noting that right now. Yeah. yeah. No, that is that is something, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I tease. Yeah, I, I enjoy my colleagues. 
give me tenure. <laughs> See, I, I, I'm, I'm in a different place, so I can already say like, yeah. no, no, colleagues, no, terrible. And uh, yeah, I barely put up with you guys sitting right here. If Twyla were here, things would be better. But, you know, that's about it. I don't know if this is too meta, but I was talking to my PhD advisor about about this and why I like it. And uh, I told him that it's a really awesome opportunity to connect with y'all. And it brings me back to parts of grad school where we were in, you know, like long seminar classes, like really getting into detail about stuff. And I've missed some of that. Um, And I think that being in academia and having the the freedom to kind of do what you want to with your time allows us to cultivate these sorts of things. And I know on mornings where I know I have a podcast coming up, it's it's enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Um, and another another thing I think is you know we we have the time to make what we want to out of it. So I know days where I feel like crap, I've really got to get through this. This is going to be just like sloughing through. I know later on, like I'll have a little more time to do what I want to with. No, I'd agree. So to some, don't spend a lot of time on grants. It should be just random chance, lotteries and, and so on. Um, start a podcast so you can you know have something fun to do and uh, invest in your students and have good relationships with them. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for uh, listening to Marginally Significant and we will talk with you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Marginally Significant. We'd love to hear if you have comments, questions, or any feedback about today's episode. You can message us on Twitter at MarginallySig. Our email address is MarginallySig at gmail.com. And there's a contact form on our website, which is MarginallySig.com. However you contact us, we'll be sure to reply. Uh, If you're interested in supporting the show, we'd also love getting reviews on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. And finally, uh, you can post about the show on Twitter, Facebook, or any other social media platform that you use. However you support the show, we really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.